Hello, everybody. Hello online. Hello in here. So glad uh, that you're here with us. My name's Pastor Kimmy, and I'm excited to bring the Word of God tonight. Uh, I feel like this topic um, is gonna it's gonna do something in our hearts, and so I just want to open in prayer. I just want to. Say, welcome, Holy Spirit, come. If we're uh, online in our homes or here in the building, we just say, come, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our hearts, Lord God. Speak to us, Lord Jesus, not my words, but yours, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just uh, release uh, a powerful word to us tonight, God. Thank you. We give you all praise and honor and glory. Amen. All right, well, I have a question for you. Have you ever burnt the garlic toast? Put your hand up if you've ever burnt the garlic toast. It's a little bit of a joke in my house. My family like to bug me about it quite a bit because I'm pretty famous at burning the garlic toast. And it's because... I'm impatient. Yes, I am. I turn the, the, the stove on high. I turn broil, like the, the oven on high. I like to get things done fast. But then when you put that garlic toast in and you got it on high and you walk away because you got distracted, we call it sparkle at my house, uh, then you sometimes burn the garlic toast and it gives off this really nice smell. It's, it's quite pleasant. I've many a time scraped off the garlic toast. Now, in contrast to that, my husband, I don't know if he's ever burnt the garlic toast. He's such a great cook. And I'm a good cook, but I'm much less patient than he is. And so on a Monday night, he'll make this like incredible meal, steak and scallops and shrimp and mushrooms. And I'm just like, let's, you know, throw in some grilled cheese and that call it dinner. But he is such a great cook. And when he's cooking, I often can smell it when I get out of the car. So if I'm coming home late, I can actually smell dinner cooking, just the aroma of it, and I love steak. So when he's got steak on the barbecue, and I come in and I can smell that, I just love that smell. Can you smell it right now? Just like imagine the smell of steak and mushrooms. Like it's just such a great aroma, isn't it? Well, in the Old Testament, they liked to burn a lot of things. I think I would have fit in pretty well with those Old Testament friends because they were often burning things. They were asked by God to burn incense, uh, which would give off a pleasant fragrance for the Lord. Uh, but they were also required to give sacrifices of certain types of animals and offerings to compensate and to atone for their sins. And so you might think, like, what's this word atone mean? Well, it means to repair. And in the God context, it means forgiveness of sin. And so the Jewish people um, had five different offerings that they were asked to give. Uh, several times a year, they would have different festivals. And so they would have to make an altar and burn some stuff on it. And this was the payment. This was the atonement for their sin. And God actually set it up this way. So they didn't come 
come up with this crazy barbecue idea on their own. This was God's plan for atonement, was that the people would come and they would give these offerings, like burnt offerings and meal offerings and peace offerings and trespass offerings and sin offerings. And you can find all of these in the book of Leviticus. It's a great read. Yes, it is engaging and exciting. And there's actually so much wonderful stuff that we learn from the way that God structured this because this is how he decided his plan of atonement would be carried out, okay? So atonement is um, what God set out, and it's related, and it's the forgiveness of our sin. So what is sin? Well, I'm pretty sure most of us know what sin is and are probably pretty good at it. Well, let me tell you, God hasn't actually changed his mind about sin since the very beginning. Since the beginning of creation, his opinion about sin and what he thinks is sin has not changed. And it actually says in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. And he also says in Hebrews 3.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so this means for us that that very first day that Adam and Eve sinned and, and fell for the trick of Satan and welcomed sin into the world is the same sin for us. Yes, it's going to look different in our culture, but sin is sin. And very simply, it is an offense to God, so you could despise God the Father, the Son, or Holy Spirit. You could break a biblical moral law, or you could injure somebody. And so in that framework around those topics, that's where sin lives. And in the Old Testament, there are actually two different kinds of laws. There's moral law and there's ritual law. So ritual law would have been around those offerings, building an altar, sacrificing a certain way. And we're not bound by that ritual law anymore, but we are bound by moral law. Does that make sense? You getting it? Okay. So if we were to sin, that would look something like saying the name Jesus Christ, but in a negative way, like a swear word. That's a sin. Pride, gossip, terrorism, racism. We have seen the conversation around racism escalate, and it's been so fantastic. We need this because racism, to be prejudiced against somebody else, is a sin. Um, envy, greed, overeating, all the Ten Commandments, lying, murder, stealing, lust, sexual sins, right? They're all sin. And I'm pretty sure we could all nod our heads and be like, yeah, Maybe like look down on the floor, like, yeah, I'm pretty good at sin. Like I know what mistakes I've made and I know what areas of my life where I'm especially vulnerable to sin, right? And, and most of the time, Satan, you know, as helpful as he wants to be, he shames us and he condemns us and he guilts us. So then we really, really know what our sin is, don't we? Well, now we know what sin is, right? So it's against God, against each other, moral law. Well, how do we get rid of sin? Well, that's that atonement piece, and that's where repentance comes into the puzzle. Repentance is when we realize that we've made a mistake and we actually turn from it. We, we confess it and we turn from it. 
And so I'm going to go over five keys of repentance that we're going to take a look at. So hold on to your hats because I got a lot to share with you. All right. So the first one is that we must accept God's definition of sin. Okay, that's the first piece of the repentance uh, puzzle, the first step. So all those things that I listed are sin and a whole bunch of other things I didn't list that are sin, but they keep us from being in God's presence, right? God cannot be with sin. He is sinless. He is perfect. We have sin just by our human nature, so we can't be in his presence. And in 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So there's no darkness in God, none. He is purely, perfectly light, but I'm not. I have sin. I have human nature. I have a sinful nature right? And this word darkness actually means wickedness or evil. And so God does not have that. He has no wickedness, no evil, no sin in him. And so if I want to be with him, then I have to figure out my sin. And one of the best ways to figure out our sin is to fathom and try to understand the holiness of God. Try to understand who he is. Try to draw closer to his character, and we will see our sin magnified. You see, God would never swear against himself. He would never hurt somebody. He would never lie. All of those things are in, all of the goodness that is in God is because he is perfect. So that's a really simplified explanation of sin. But hang on, because that's not really what we want to focus on, repentance. And so we're going to get there. I'm taking you somewhere. So we know what sin is, and we know that we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to repent and turn the other way, because we need atonement, right? We need atonement. And the reason is that God never blocks us. If you feel a disconnect between you and God, it's not because God's disconnected to you, it's because you are disconnected to God. It's because sin is standing in your way between you and God. He never will withhold anything, but he does say, repent. You need to deal with that sin so that there's no blockage, there's nothing standing between you and God. And that is good news because we have Jesus Christ, right? He wants us to step into repentance with Jesus so that we can clear that way between us. And you know, repentance is actually so attractive and smells so good to God. He loves repentance. And like, why? Why would he love it? Because it was his plan from the beginning. He knew we were messed up. He knew we were going to sin. And he's like, I love those children so much. I'm coming up with a plan of atonement. I'm sending my son Jesus. They need to repent. And so when we enter into it, he's like, yes, they got my plan. They got what I wanted for them to do. I want them to live a life of repentance, to open that gift and to walk in it. God says there doesn't have to be anything blocking between us and him. 
The second step in repentance is that we must accept God's sovereignty, perfection, and that we're sinners, okay? So we know what sin is. Is there anybody here who does not have sin? No, but right? We all agree we all have sin, right? And so what we need to do is to understand the sovereignty of God, the perfection of who he is in order to help us with this repentance piece. So we're going to take a look at a story in Isaiah 6. And I love this story, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get pretty excited about it. I'm just giving you a warning if you're in the splash zone. I love this story. So it's in the year King Uzziah died. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne. Imagine this with me. Imagine. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I want to go back to that, and I actually want you to read that out with me. I want you to say those words. I want you to imagine you are Isaiah, and God is there in the throne room, and the angels are saying this, and you say with him, let's go back to holy, holy, holy. Is it there? There it is, right there. Okay, let's say it together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Just imagine that. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then it continues to say, their voices shook the temple. So when the seraphim, the angels, are praising God, it shakes the temple to its foundations. And the entire building is filled with smoke. Like, come on, guys. This is remarkable. This is our God. This is him in that throne room, and the angels are worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? And Isaiah is having this moment of, like, my mind is blown. It's just blown at the majesty of who is before me. I am in awe. I just can't even believe that the, the God who breathed life into humanity, the God who sets the stars in the sky, the God who created all of this earth, that God is sitting right there beside, before me. Isn't that a phenomenal thing? And you know what Isaiah does? He does what I think I'm pretty sure I would have done. In verse 5, Isaiah says, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. But I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. He gets it. I am sin, and he is perfection. 
And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Here's the key right here. This is Yahweh himself, the king of heaven's armies, our God. He is in this throne room and he is in the presence of sin because Isaiah is there. And what does God do? He, he atones because that's what God does. He doesn't say, hey, Isaiah, get the heck out of here. What are you doing here? You're not allowed to be here. He's like, no, 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 no. I will forgive your sins. I will give you atonement. And that angel takes that coal from that altar. Remember, we talked about the sacrifices, the altar. He takes the coal from the altar and he touches those lips because that was God's magnificent plan. This is how they found atonement in the Old Testament. And I hope that gets you excited. I don't see you dancing, and I have to say I'm a little disappointed because, man, that's exciting stuff. The third step in our keys to repentance is that we have to believe that Jesus is the only atonement that God accepts as payment for our sin. So, right? So Isaiah had the coal touch his lips, and God said, you are forgiven, but, this, but, but we don't live in those Old Testament times. We're not bound by those ritual laws. We now have Jesus. We don't have to build an altar. We don't have to throw the stakes on there, like literal, you know, like the, the cow. We don't have to burn those things. We have Jesus. And he paid that final price for us so that we could have atonement. And you know, Jesus is pretty clear in the New Testament to repent, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. He's very clear. There is one way to the Father, and it is not through Allah. It is not through Buddha. It is not through the grass or the trees. It is through me, Jesus Christ says. I am the only way to the Father. I am the payment of your sins. So you need to repent. And he's not saying it as strong as I'm saying it because I'm getting pretty fired up about this because this is important, guys. He didn't just come and tell us a story. This is life or death. This is heaven or hell. And dang it, I am not going to hell. I am not going there, and I hope you're not either. All right, so Jesus says to repent. And the very first words that are recorded out of Jesus' mouth in the book of Mark are these. The kingdom of God is near. You better, you better know the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near, absolutely. So repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. And you know, Jesus, he went around and he told everybody to repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. Repentance is, is listed over a hundred times in the Bible. This was important we have to accept God's definition of sin, and then we have to accept that the only payment that is worthy enough of our debt is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Somebody. Amen. 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 Absolutely. 
Rabbi Zacharias um, uh, is a wonderful man, passed away just recently, and he said these words, and I love them so much. He says, our fundamental problem is spiritual. It's not just that we're immoral, but that a moral life alone cannot bridge what separates us from God right? It's like what Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to the Father. So you can't be good enough, you can't do enough, you can't give enough away, you can't help enough people. None of those things are going to get you to heaven. There's only one way, and that's through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And so then Rabbi continues to say, Jesus does not offer to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Hey, amen, to make dead people alive, right? We were dead in our sin, but we are alive in Christ, right? And that doesn't mean that we hold repentance over here on the side and think that we only engage in repentance that one time when we came to know Jesus, because that basically means since I did that 25 years ago, I've never sinned. Hey, I heard you laughing. You're very right. I sinned today, probably before I came up here, right? We have to live lives of repentance. We don't hold it over here, entering into that and touching that every once in a while, right? And again, God loves it when we repent. Why? Because we're, we're saying, sorry, we're getting it, but we're turning from that action, and he loves it when our hearts are changed. He loves it when we chase after him and when we seek him because he's our identity. He loves that. You see, we see our own sinfulness in full only when we embrace God's holiness in full. Hey, isn't that so true? Craig Groeschel says in his book, Dangerous Prayers, I love this. This is so good. As long as we compare ourselves with other people, we can deceive ourselves that we're not that bad. <laughs> That's so good. Because you're probably sitting there thinking, I'm not as bad as Pastor Kimmy, so hey, I'll be ahead of her, right? But when we compare ourselves to God, we can see just how unrighteous we truly are. Oh, I love that. So that means I got to know what God looks like. I got to know the sound of his voice so that I can be just like him. Like Isaiah, I need to fathom the holiness of God and be aware of my sin. And this sin leads me to a fuller understanding and experience with God's grace. Okay, point four. We must believe what the New Testament teaches about conquering sin. So Paul calls this the battle between our flesh and our spirit. And you can read this in Galatians 5.17, and I'm going to basically paraphrase it. And some translations say flesh, and some say sinful nature. And, and when they say flesh, they don't mean our actual skin. They mean our sinful nature, okay? And so our old nature wants to do what's best, what, what we think is best, right? Our old nature wants us to do the easy thing, right? The tempting thing, the chill thing, right? The sinful thing. But then our, our God, spirit nature, uh, wants us to do what glorifies God, 
okay? Glorify God, sinful nature. And so the two are battling each other. And, and I'm sorry to tell you this. I, I feel like I'm going to burst a bubble for you, but this is going to be a struggle for the rest of your life. If you didn't know that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell you this now, but it's true. You are going to, for the rest of your life, be battling against your sinful nature and your spirit nature. And the spirit nature wants to give glory to God, right? So just like how Isaiah couldn't be in God's presence without atonement, without forgiveness of sin, the two couldn't coexist because God is perfect and Isaiah is not, we are kind of like the same. You see, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we know that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's an equal part of the Trinity. So we have perfect Holy Spirit living inside of us going, Spirit wants to win, but also inside of us we've got flesh and sinfulness and selfishness saying, oh no, no, sin wants to win. And these two battle it out because they don't want to coexist right? They don't want to live together, so they're constantly fighting with one another. So how do we live a, a submitted life to God when our sinful desires want to win? And, and come on, we, we sometimes like to sin. Like, come on, we do. We, it's pretty easy for us. So how do we battle that? How do we conquer that so that our spirit will win? Well, here's an idea. I call it starve the sin feed the faith. Say it with me. Starve the sin, feed the faith. Say it again. Starve the sin, feed the faith. And I'm going to show you how we're going to do that. In step number five, we're going to ask God daily for help as we submit to him. That's the fifth key in repentance. You see, daily we need to feed our spirit. We need to feed what grows, right? If we want something to grow, we give it food. And so Craig Rochelle says, we starve what we want to die. Well, let me tell you about something that I want to die. And I think this is a very effective picture. It's a little bit personal, but I really would like to lose a couple pounds, okay? I would. I'd like to lose a couple pounds. So what do I need to do if I want to lose a couple pounds? Well, I know that I need to starve what I want to die, right? So I have to starve the carbs. I have to starve the, starve the sugar. I have to starve the calories. However you decide, if you want to lose weight, however you decide, we all know that you have to starve what you want to die. And I want the fat to die. So I have to starve it. It's not just going to go away by sitting on the couch eating a bag of chips. I have to starve the fat in order for it to go away. Well, it's actually the exact same thing with my sin. I have to starve the sin. So how do I do that? Well, I think what we do so often, and I know I'm, I do this, man, I focus on the sin. I focus on the sin, and what I need to do is focus on the Savior, I need to focus on the Savior because then I'm not even thinking about the sin anymore. I'm starving it and I don't even realize it because I'm focused on the Savior. And here's an excellent example of this out of Exodus uh, chapter 16. 
Now, the Israelites had been in the desert, right? They had come out of slavery and bondage from Egypt, and they're now in the desert, and it's been a few days, and they don't have any food left. All of their provisions are gone, and there's no more KFC to be passing around to everybody, and so they're hungry, and they're whiny, and they're like, Moses, I'm so hungry, like, Moses, you brought us out here to die. You know, they're all like, hate, hate, hate on Moses because they don't have any food. And so Moses goes to God, and God says that, uh, that he will rain down from heaven every day manna and quail. Every single day he's going to do this. And we've heard this story. Manna is like the honey wafer, and it comes in the morning, and the quail, it comes in the evening. And God does this exactly how he said he would. And do you know how long he did that for? 40 years! He's not just a good God, he is a faithful God. He did not let those people starve in the wilderness every single day for 40 years. And I didn't do the math, but I know that's a lot of numbers. That's a lot of days that he made sure they did not starve. He provided the manna and the quail. He showered down his goodness and provided for them every single day. So why do we think he would not do the same for us? Of course he would. He wants to. He's like, would you please ask me? Because I'd like to give you some manna and quail every single day, right? And we can look at that manna and that quail and think of that as our daily devotional time, as daily getting into the word of God, as daily praying, as daily repenting, daily asking for forgiveness, right? Because we know none of us can live on one serving of applesauce once a week. And yet, somehow, we kind of think that coming to church is like that, right? Like, church tastes pretty sweet. It's pretty awesome to be here. It feels good. It tastes good. It's, like, yummy. But it's not going to last me probably till tomorrow, right? And yet, we think our relationship with God should be like that, that we should just come, get a little bit of applesauce, and move on. And God's like, no, I want manna and quail in your life every single day. And he says, I'll provide it. I will give it to you. And it's the same with repentance. We don't just repent once, but we repent often. We posture our hearts before God and ask him to break us. Jesus, would you search my heart? Would you clear out the cobwebs? Would you reveal to me the sin in my life that maybe I don't even see and the sin that I do, and help me to work through that sin. We starve the sin and feed the faith. Say it again. Starve the sin, feed the faith. That's right. And you know what? Romans 2.4, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God's not like standing there with an angry voice yelling at you, you loser, you sinned again. His kindness leads us to repentance. He's so good. And what happens when we're in his presence is that we don't see a list of rules. We don't see a religion where we have to perform and we have to be and we have to um, do something to work to get God's love. We We don't see that. We just see his kindness. 
We just see his goodness. You see, his plan all along was a savior. His plan was never that we would live by religious rules. His plan was that we would know him so well that we would know what breaks his heart, that we would know when we are sinning, not because of condemnation, because that comes from the enemy, but from conviction, from a kindness, from a tenderness, that we would know what is not in his world, not in the light, so that we could be in his presence. And what would end up happening is that it would almost be like we're ballroom dancers, like just walking together in such harmony and unity as we know what pleases him. So when I starve the sin, I don't give it credit. I don't focus on it. I don't think about it. But instead, I focus on God's kindness and his goodness. And it's going to be easier to battle that sin when I'm focused on him. And you know what? We have a lot of sin. We have more than 50 shades of gray. (laughs) We've got hundreds in our current culture. We've grayed everything. Right? And I'm, I'm so not walking around going to point a finger at anybody because I think you're sinning because then you get to point it at me and tell me I'm sinning. But we have a lot of sin. And we have a lot of shame and bitterness and condemnation and baggage that we've been holding on to. And I kind of saw this picture of us in COVID that we've been masked and we haven't been showing God our true selves. We've had this sin blocking us and him. And and I feel like we need to clean out. We need to take the mask off. We need to repent. We need to say we're sorry, Jesus. We need to ask for forgiveness so that we can be in step with him. And I think that when the mask is off, when there's a repentant heart, like, Lord, show me my sin, I think that's a beautiful fragrance to him. I think he loves that. I think he loves that. Would we be broken? Would we surrender to him? I have one last really quick story for you of a guy named Rodney Smith. He was known as Gypsy Smith in revival circles, and uh, he was an evangelist in England in the late 1800s and early 1900s, and he had a really hard life. He, his mom died when he was little. He had lots of siblings, and they were very poor. And when he was 16 years old, he came to know Jesus. Right away, he was so on fire for God, so passionate for God. And within years, he was um, gathering people and doing like revival prayer meetings, and hundreds of people were coming out to hear him, and then thousands were coming out to hear him. And, and he, he had meetings all over the world, and like tens of thousands of people would come out to these meetings with Gypsy Smith as he shared the gospel. And this one time, a reporter said to him, what's your secret? What is your secret? How do you get up there time after time with no notes and and give these messages that are so Holy Spirit filled? How is it when people come to your meetings that they are set free, that, that there's healing, that the brokenhearted leave with hope? Like, how is this? How does this happen? And Gypsy says, I've got the answer for you. You gotta do this one thing. You gotta go home. And you got to lock yourself into a room. And you need to have a piece of chalk. And you need to kneel down on the floor. 
and you need to take that piece of chalk and you need to draw a circle around yourself, just like that. Just imagine I'm just drawing a circle right around myself. And then Gypsy said, you need to pray for revival within that circle. Right there in that circle. You don't need to look at your pastor or your leader or anybody else and say, this is what you're not doing. You need to look right here in this circle and say, Jesus, would you start a revival right here? Would you start right here with me? And so church, I want to ask if you feel comfortable, I would love for you to participate with me, to be on your knees, but only what you're comfortable with. But I feel like um, I want a revival right here in this circle. I want it bad. And so if you want to um, pray this prayer with me, I'm just going to ask for you just to kneel. And I'm just going to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I repent. Oh God, I repent of my sin. I know it is great. <laughs> I love you so much and I know that my sin is so great and that you sent your son and that he was beaten and whipped and died for my stupid mistakes and that he didn't just do it, he lovingly did it for me. That you lovingly chose that path, that this was your plan, God. You are so good. You are so gracious and merciful. I just can't get enough of you. And God, as I repent of my sin, Father, I ask that you would forgive it. Thank you for the atonement of your son. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me. And God, I want to pray bold, risky, faith-filled prayers that you would start a revival right here in this circle, that you would start with me, that you would start in my heart, God. Start with me. I want to know you more. I want to know your smell. I want to know what you sound like. I want to move when you move. I want to be so in unity with you, Jesus. I want revival in my heart, Lord God. And so I say, have your way. If you need to break me, break me. Expose my sin. Show me the things, the cracks, the dust, the things that you need to purge out of there, Lord God. I give it all to you. And I say, have your way. Have your way, Jesus, and start a revival in my heart, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we love you, God. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for uh, being here with us today. Uh, hope that you take some more time with God uh, just to continue that prayer. Thank you.